Uh, I spend a lot of time uh, in our department, spends a lot of time in the international market, uh, working with customers, uh, importers, distributors, end users of US red meat products, helping them understand how we produce cattle and hogs and sheep in the United States helping them understand uh, the quality attributes and why you know, grain-fed beef, grain-fed pork is the highest quality uh, you know, red meat product in the world. Welcome to MeatsPad, a platform dedicated to sharing breakthrough knowledge that is accessible to the meats industry. These discussions help foster and improve communication and knowledge dissemination within the meat science community. This podcast is brought to you by the U.S. Meat Export Federation, the Niche Meat Processor Assistance Network, the National Provisioner, Ultrasource, the new standard for innovation, Dry Age Pro, makes dry aging in-house flexible, safe, and affordable, Whirlpack, designed with intention for results you can trust. Hello, meat folks. Welcome back to the Meat Spot Podcast. My name is Francisco Nohar. Very excited because we have a very talented guest today. Pretty excited to announce that we have Dr. Travis Arp from the U.S. Meat Export Federation. We'll be talking a lot about the export market and about the, the value proposition of U.S. meat. We also welcome back Dr. Phil Bass from the University of Idaho. How are you, Dr. Bass? Yeah, I, I, I'm excited as well. And, and you know, um, having Travis here um, and, and his experience and background is going to be immense and um, hopefully gives the listeners kind of a unique perspective. You know, we get a, we have a lot of uh, smaller operators that are listening in, and sometimes we miss the uh, understanding of the value of having the export market as part of the the whole meat business, right? And so um, it, it's really exciting to have a representative from the U.S. Meat Export Federation uh, joining us today. So. Um, Great. Now we'd like to start off this conversation by welcoming Dr. Arp. How are you today? Great. I'm excited to be here and uh, thank you guys for the invite to join the podcast. As, as Phil said, we kind of uh, fill a, an interesting niche at the U.S. Meat Export Federation and the, the more the industry is aware of the importance of exports, the better. So uh, thank you guys for inviting me on and look forward to the conversation. Cool. Now for those folks in our audience who don't know you, uh, please uh, tell us about a little bit about your background, maybe a little bit about your role working for USMEF. And I know you went to grad school at Colorado State University, and here you you uh, you met Dr. Phil Bass too. So please tell us uh, more about this. Yeah, well, I, I think first and foremost, uh, I grew up on a cattle operation in the Midwest. Uh, my family owns and operates a, a cow-calf farm in north central Missouri. Um, I actually grew up in Wisconsin on uh, the beef cattle research farm at the University of Wisconsin that my dad managed. But, uh, you know, I have a, a long family history in agriculture and, and beef cattle production. And I think that really kind of started my, my interest in meat science. Um, I got my undergraduate degree from the University of Missouri in uh, ag economics and public policy, but then went from there to work on a, a master's degree in meat science at the University of Florida. And then, uh, as you said, Francisco, came out to Colorado State and got a PhD in meat science there. Uh, you know, a lot of my research through grad school focused on meat quality, but was able to get a little bit of exposure 
into kind of the international side of the business through my work at CSU uh, really got me uh, interested in, in all the possibilities for the industry outside of, of the United States and what we do in that realm. So um, that's a little bit about me and, and kind of how I, I found my way into to working in the export space in the meat industry. Well, and, you, and you know, it, it, that's, that's a, so you provided a new uh, bit of information that I was unaware of, Dr. Arp. I didn't realize that you had ag econ background, which really probably plays a pretty big role in what you bring to the table right now. And um, and, and maybe it doesn't, you can you can explain that as well, but I'd like to kind of ask a big question here. Um, and and uh, that may help set the stage even more so for our listenership. Um, can you explain a little bit more what the US Meat Export Federation is? And, and it's a term that we throw around oftentimes in the, in the inner meat world as USMEF, but US Meat Export Federation, what is it? Um, explain the importance of exports um, uh, for the U.S. meat animal uh, agricultural market, and 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 maybe just kind of talk a little bit about how that that added value really helps all of the meat business. Yeah, so the U.S. Meat Export Federation, we're a nonprofit organization based in Denver, Colorado, um, and really, I would say the primary responsibility and, and goal of the the Meat Export Federation. Uh, as our, our mission statement says, is, is putting U.S. meat on the world's table. And we have 19 offices around the world outside of our Denver headquarters. And these are offices that are in country. These are nationals from that country that are working on behalf of the U.S. meat industry to promote, uh, promote U.S. beef, pork, and lamb are the, the primary proteins that we cover. And so uh, that marketing component is huge into what USMEF does on a day-to-day -day basis. We're a contractor of the beef checkoff. We're a contractor of the national pork checkoff. Uh, we also work through uh, funding that is uh, allocated through the Farm Bill on an annual basis called the Market Access Program and Foreign Market Development Programs. And so we combine, um, you know, that funding through USDA, through the beef checkoff, through the pork checkoff, and actually through multiple grain checkoffs in the United States uh, to, to use that uh, to fund promotions that we do in the international market. Um, these are our marketing programs that are very specific to the countries that we're targeting. Um, and again, we work across the supply chain in those countries to just help promote and build demand for U.S. red meat. Outside of that, we also uh, work a lot in uh, market access and, and uh, the kind of economic analysis space. Uh, I myself work in our, our export services team, and, and that really encompasses everything from working with our USMEF membership, which is uh, a broad range of, of companies, both large and small, to help them help kind of facilitate their exports uh, into uh, international countries, help them understand the regulatory scope, help them get better access into those markets uh, where maybe we, we do have issues with, um, you know, barriers to trade in various forms and functions. And then, like I said, we have a, a, two economists on staff at USMEF that they are constantly looking at and, and analyzing the domestic market for protein, how that's going to translate to exports, understanding the, the economic situations in our primary markets, 
and then translate that information back to our members, back to our stakeholders in the United States, so they can just have a full understanding of what that export landscape looks like uh, pretty much all around the world. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think this sets the stage for more conversations, for sure. And I think uh, especially those folks at the small and mid-sized meat processing level that may not be familiar with what the USMEF does and definitely puts a lot of things into context. Now, as a meat scientist, what do you do to help the US meat industry move forward? And I think we can, we can talk from the marketing standpoint, but also from a technical standpoint, since you're, uh, since you have the knowledge of meat science, and please tell us how do you do that uh, domestically, but also in the international market. Uh, what tell us more about your role? Yeah, I mean the 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 meat science uh, side really has a wide range of applications on what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. I would say one of the main roles um, that we see in that is just education. Uh, I spend a lot of time, uh, and our department spends a lot of time in the international market, uh, working with customers, uh, importers, distributors, end users of U.S. red meat products, helping them understand how we produce cattle and hogs and sheep in the United States, helping them understand uh, the quality attributes and why, you know, grain-fed beef, grain-fed pork is the highest quality, uh, you know, red meat product in the world. The value proposition, <clears throat> excuse me, the value proposition that that creates uh, for them trying to uh, distribute and market that product, uh, and and really uh, just kind of round out the picture for for not only why um, they should purchase red meat products from the United States versus our competitors, but all uh, you know everything that goes into producing livestock and meat in the United States, and again why that's really. Um, you know, the highest quality protein, in my opinion, in our opinion, that's distributed around the world. So you've mentioned, you know, you guys are in, you said you have 19 offices and kind of scattered throughout and, and that's going to be touching on an awful lot of regions. Uh, so, so about how many countries do you guys uh, interact with on a regular basis? Uh, well, I mean, the, the number of markets that we actually export product from the United States to, I would say is, is probably in the realm of 100 to 120 different countries around the world. The, the reach of US meat products is massive. Now there's, uh, you know, there's obviously markets that are, are critical to, um, you know, the export business in the United States. When we look at countries like Mexico and Canada, uh, Japan, China, Korea, I mean, those really make up the bulk of the volume um, of the product that we export. Uh, but, you know, one thing that, that we always consider at USMEF is even a small market is still a market for somebody. So as we look around, you know, Southeast Asia and Central America, South America, and even more so into regions of the world like the Middle East and Africa, we might not export a lot of product from a volume standpoint, but there are members of USMEF and companies in the United States that those smaller markets are really critical to the, their bottom line and their commercial success. So, uh, you know, our offices around the world, they do a tremendous amount of work on behalf of the, of the US industry. Um, they work across, uh, especially, especially regional offices in Southeast Asia, uh, the Middle East, uh, South and Central America, like I've mentioned, they cover a lot of different markets. 
um, and do a tremendous amount of work with those end users so, so we can continue to help build demand and, and in, improve um, you know, the U.S. position and even those smallest countries that we export to. Cool. No, I think uh, that's great. And you uh, earlier you brought up the, the value proposition. And I think that's very important because uh, when, we start, when we start talking about U.S. meat, and you mentioned a lot of it, it's primarily grain-fed. Um, I would talk about beef and pork. But uh, from uh, your experience, and hearing from, from people and in and, and, and cattle production facilities around the world, what sets the U.S. meat industry apart from, from the rest? What makes it unique? I mean, you, you brought up excellent questions, but can, you, can we go a little bit more in depth about that value proposition? Yeah, so, I mean, U.S. grain-fed beef and pork is... I would say somewhat unique in terms of the way we produce livestock vis-a-vis uh, -vis our competitors in say Brazil or Argentina or Australia, New Zealand. Um, you can go right on down the line. Uh, I mean, most of those countries are feeding, are, are producing a grass-fed beef animal. Um, and generally that product is frankly just lower quality than the high quality beef that we produce in the United States. They don't have a quality grading system that's as developed as the United States. Uh, you know, U.S. Uh, choice beef, U.S. prime beef, those are internationally recognized uh, brands, if you will. The, the choice grade and the prime grade carry a tremendous amount of weight with our international customers that, that far extends beyond the U.S. border. And so uh, because of that, because we raise this high quality grain fed, uh, you know, product in the United States, that does come at a premium. And when you compare U.S. grain fed beef versus, for example, grass fed Brazilian beef or grass fed Australian beef, that comes at a premium and end users have to pay more for that product. And a lot of what we try and communicate, and I think what is well understood in a lot of markets, is that paying a premium and paying a higher value for that product is going to result in higher, uh, you know, it, improved palatability, higher yeah, consumer experience. acceptance, um, all of those things that's going to help continue to pull that product through the market and, and bring back repeat customers. So communicating why it's worth the value or worth the additional investment to buy this higher quality product, I think is really critical to helping promote U.S. beef and U.S. pork for that matter. And I think uh, in, in many of the countries we work with, uh, that's become a, a well understood value proposition and is why the U.S. has been so successful in the export business. I love the discussion about the added value proposition. I mean, you, you, there, there's definitely parts of a carcass um, that uh, here in the United States maybe isn't uh, given the value that it, that it deserves, really. I mean, from a meat science perspective, I try to eat every little bit of the carcass if I can. Um, but, but the reality is we can't necessarily have that demand here domestically at all times. And so maybe can you talk just a little bit about... Um, uh, how much of the beef, pork, and lamb carcasses uh, are being exported uh, percentage-wise, roundabout numbers? And maybe can you give us an example of an item that maybe receives more value if exported than if tried to sold, be sold domestically? Yeah, absolutely. I, so if you look at it in terms of just pure numbers on the, the volume of product that we produce in the United States, 
On a muscle cut standpoint, we export about 11% of the total beef that we produce in the U.S. That's about 14% when you add in variety meats and off-ball products. On the pork side, uh, we export about 27% of the total volume of product that we, uh, uh, that we produce in the United States. Now that said, when you start to break that down on a, on a carcass basis, and you start looking at individual items that we're pulling from that carcass, there are certain cuts, as you mentioned, Phil, that are going uh, in much higher proportion into the international market. So just using beef as the example, um, you know, middle meat product like a rib or a strip loin, those are largely going to be domestic items in the United States that we don't send uh, very much into the export market. Now that said, if you look at a product like a short rib or a short plate, we can export in excess of, you know, 75% even upwards of 80 or 90% of the short plates that we produce in the United States are gonna to go to an export market. So if you look at it just in terms of, of a percentage of pure volume, I don't think it really fully tells the story of the value of exports, just because there are cuts that are gonna go almost exclusively into an export market. Now, when you start talking about that from a value standpoint, I think one of the most interesting examples that you can, that I can provide is a beef tongue. Now, tongues in the United States are not something that we're going to consume. I personally really like them. I think they're delicious, <laughs> but writ large in the United States, U.S. consumers are not eating very much beef tongue. And, and if we had to keep all of those tongues in the United States, uh, you know, that's going to fetch a, a, a much lower value than what we'd see in an export market. Now you look at a market like Japan that buys, you know, the broad majority of exported U.S. beef tongues, you know, we could be selling those, um, you know, at a, at a premium of anywhere from, you know, potentially five to seven dollars per pound. So, you know, the difference in what the value of that product's going to get in the Japanese export market versus if we had to keep those domestic really is a, a, a tremendous amount of premium and it helps kind of build the overall value for, um, you know, the carcass complex and, and kind of translate that value back down across the supply chain. We'll be right back. The Niche Meat Processor Assistance Network or NPAN is a proud sponsor of the Meatspad podcast. I love the example of the tongue. I remember distinctly um, in the early, early 2000s, I like to think we're still in the early 2000s, but the early, early 2000s when a lot of that Southeast Asian market overnight was, was shut down, it was unavailable to us. And the per head dollar value of a beef carcass took a nosedive because we couldn't sell the tongues. I mean, and a few other items, obviously. And, and now you've alluded to the reason why I can't find short ribs for my barbecue. Um, so, uh, but, but I, I love that, you know, we're able to find this market on the other side of the planet that truly puts a lot of value into some of the items that maybe we couldn't, we can't get the, the dollar value that it has here in the United States. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you can go down a long list of cuts and just look at the premium that various markets will pay for them. And, and I, I think the tongues are good. Uh, you know, beef tongues are, are a good example because really, especially when you look at the, at, at the pork industry, a lot of the additional value for the carcass is generated through those off-all and variety meats. And the amount of pig feet 
and tails and ears that we send to China and stomachs and intestines that are going to go to Southeast Asia and Mexico and Central America. I mean, really, that's all product that you're looking at a rendering value of, of 30 cents a pound, and you can send pork feet to China for $2.50 a pound. And, and really, that additional value created through the export market really adds up and uh, becomes you know, extremely important to these processors' bottom lines in the United States. I got, I got, uh, this is, this is excellent. I, I love this conversation. Um, I have two follow-up questions on, on, on this. And one of it would be uh, the future challenges you know, that, that you can uh, speculate on maybe in the following years um, in terms of, I mean, Dr. Bass mentioned um, that all of a sudden overnight uh, the border was shut down with, and on those lines, what maybe in a five, 10 year term, we know like last year in November, 2020, the, it was promulgated the, the, the new quality grading system in Mexico. Um, and you mentioned like not a lot of countries in Latin America, they have, they have one. Um, in terms of that, and, and given the fact that over 1 million head of cattle are exported to the US and finished in Kansas, Texas, and the truth of the matter is like sometimes that cattle that was uh, coming from other countries like Mexico, um, I mean, it gets shipped back to Mexico and in a box beef packaging. So uh, broadly, would you please, I don't know if that's a little bit too much, but I think we can, we can go from there. Yeah, a lot to unpack there, Francisco. <laughs> so delicious, sorry. Let, let me start with the, the second half of your question there. And, and I think broadly, um, you know, to your point on the, the uh, Mexico uh, quality grading system that, that had been proposed there, a lot of what, a lot of the purpose for that, I would say, is trying to replicate the success that the United States has had in the international market. And uh, I mean, even to the point where, I mean, Mexico had originally proposed to essentially have prime choice and select grades that were almost identical to the United States because they understand how ubiquitous the choice grade and the prime grade is um, in international markets, including Mexico. I mean, yeah. Mexico itself understands the quality proposition of, of U.S. choice beef and, and U.S. prime beef. And, and, and Mexico themselves has done a lot to try and develop their feedlot systems and become a, a bit more of a modernized beef industry that's more on par with, with how we produce cattle in the United States. And so I think a lot of the, the effort around that was done in a manner to try and, and, and just kind of keep up with the United States and, and, and I guess um, you know, copying is, is, is the best form of flattery, but we also, you know, USMEF, we, we worked hard to, to kind of help the government understand, the U.S. government, the Mexican government understand that, um, you know, this is a U.S. brand, and this is, this is, a, this is a, a system that's been extremely well developed in the United States, and uh, uh, just because you come in and, and use all of our standards and, and, and try and, uh, you know, apply that to your industry doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to produce the same product that we're going to have. 
um, from a, a competition standpoint. So, and, and we've seen, you know, other countries like Australia have tried to develop a quality grading system. I think Uruguay has put efforts into developing somewhat of a quality grading system. And so I, I think really that's just born out of, of, of seeing the success of the U.S. system and trying to, to replicate that in some manner and, and trying to get their own kind of quality standards and brand recognition um, from that standpoint. Um, so going back to kind of your original, your, your first question on, on kind of the, the, the outlook as we see it beyond 2021 um, and some of the challenges that we might face, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see the global market play out over the next few years because, you know, We've heard in the industry for a long time that there's going to be, you know, we have a role in feeding the world and the, the 9 billion people in 2050. And, and as we look out, especially across a lot of the developing regions of the world that USMEF works in, that's, that's very much coming to fruition. Increased mobilization of the middle class, uh, people who have increased incomes that want to be more discerning in their food purchases. And I mean, that's going to lead to more protein demand, whether that's beef, whether that's pork, whether that's poultry, um, in parts of the world that, that the US certainly really never played in, Africa uh, being top of mind there, Southeast Asia, an area that we're starting to grow into and, and gain more traction from a US beef or a US red meat export standpoint. And so, that challenge is not only the United States, but all the global meat suppliers. Europe, they're a massive supplier of pork. South America, their role in the beef industry, Australia, and, and them even frankly growing their domestic industries in some of these countries that, that don't have well-developed protein production. Um, and so I think one of the biggest challenges is going to be trying to meet an, a, an increased global protein demand. Um, now, as, as Phil kind of alluded to earlier, you know, one of the major things that can throw that off, and we're seeing that play out in the pork industry right now, is, is foreign animal disease. Uh, in the early 2000s, the U.S. was dealt a huge blow when BSE, we had a BSE outbreak or a BSE case, I should say, in the United States, and that essentially closed us to these international markets overnight. In the pork industry, African swine fever um, has kind of thrown the international, the global pork market into chaos, um, especially when you have a huge player like China, the largest pork consumer in the entire world, who um, has had their domestic pork industry damaged by ASF, and they're basically trying to buy up everything on the market from the United States, the EU, Canada, Mexico, you name it. If you pr they produce pork, they're trying to buy it. Um, and so there's the supply side of it, but, you know, we also look really hard at what the ramifications would be if we ever had ASF in the United States. And we would see, again, our markets closed down overnight. Um, it would be a huge blow to the pork industry. And so the industry works hard to try and make sure they have the processes in place and the systems in place to, A, prevent ASF, but also if we were ever to get a case of ASF in the United States, how we manage that um, to continue kind of a continuity of business and, and, and keep things going there. So um, that's a long-winded answer, of, but, but to me, that, that's kind of, of two of the things that we're watching, but there's a huge 
number of variables that that uh, you know over the next five to ten years, you know, anything could happen. But well, you know, and you you've mentioned the the African swine fever. That's that is definitely a, a kind of a, a, a tragedy in in the Chinese market, and and unfortunately, we're starting to see it spread a little bit into some of the European countries as well. And I know that's kind of a little, uh, a harder uh, market for us to tap into, but uh, it, are there, are there, are there certain markets right now that US, USMEF is focusing on? Um, uh, and you've kind of alluded to it, you know, the, the, the usual is you have Canada, Canada, Mexico, Central America and Southeast Asia, but um, you know, is, are there, are there certain things that are producers could consider and packers to maybe think about um, for packing and, and, um, and ultimate uh, end product um, that we need to be focusing on for certain markets. And I, again, we're, we're asking really big questions, right? And so <laughs> do, do your darndest, Dr. Arp. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think there's, there's two different ways. There's a couple different ways of looking at it. Is, is one, we are looking, USMEF is looking really hard at what are kind of the next frontier of markets that we need to be primed and ready to go for. And that might not mean, that might mean we're not exporting anything there today or very little there today, but trying to understand where are those markets going to be in the next five to 10 years and where is US red meat going to fit into that. Africa is one of those regions that is very top of mind for us and we've been looking at for several years and and I think we're starting to gain a little bit more traction there but again that's that's a, a region of the world that's going to have to develop um, before the US uh, is is really a big player there Middle East as well I mentioned Southeast Asia uh, which I think is probably one of the the, the faster growing developing regions of the world. Um, that, that U.S. meat is now starting to, to gain some traction in. The other aspect of it is, you know, we have these massive markets like Japan and Korea, um, Mexico, China, and it's sometimes easy to look at a market like that and say, you know, we're the, we have the largest market share uh, for, you know, U.S. beef exports into Korea, but there's always room to grow and there's always opportunities to further our, our hold into that market, whether that's trying to find new avenues for marketing product, marketing products. Um, you know, a good example of that is, you know, over the last year with um, the way COVID-19 has affected the supply chains um, in many of these countries, we've seen tremendous amount of growth in e-commerce channels uh, in many countries in Asia, Korea and, and Japan specifically. And if you were to talk to me a year and a half ago, e-commerce was something that we were just kind of starting to look at. But you know, a massive sea change in, in the supply chain caused those uh, avenues for marketing to accelerate almost overnight. And we had to adapt very quickly to figure out how can we tap into this? So even if a market is really well developed, to us, there's always opportunities to increase your, your margin, increase, um, you know, where we're distributing and where we're marketing product and continue to try and gain market share from our major competitors and just find new and, and innovative ways to, to, uh, um, to, to kind of increase our footholds, uh, even in the most developed markets.
Uh, thank you again for all this input. I think a lot of a lot of folks uh, will benefit tremendously from this conversation. But we're almost getting to the final and wrapping up this episode. For those folks that are trying to, let's say, they're overseas, or they're trying to, what can they do to uh, develop a marketing channel in case that they have no idea what to do? But what are some of the resources that USMF um, may have in place to just promote and, and, and develop new markets? Yeah, well, I mean, I think one of the, the biggest questions I get is, especially from smaller processors or people, companies who maybe don't have as much experience in the export business, is what's the process? What do I have to do to produce product in the United States, get it certified by FSIS for export, and get it out of the country? And, and, and we actually started last year doing uh, these monthly training programs for exporters or companies interested in, interested in exporting exporting to various countries on what the regulations are, what the process is for exporting, and just kind of helping educate them on what goes into, you know, from concept to getting that product to land in another country and, and everything that they need to consider in order to be successful and, and prevent, you know, any sort of hang up along the way. I think from a, a marketing standpoint, um, that's where you know USMEF offices in these international markets are a, a outstanding resource because most of our employees across the world are former meat industry professionals. They work for a company that's, that is in Japan or is in Mexico or is in the EU. They worked in their meat industry. They know the players, they understand um, all the challenges uh, of, of getting U.S. product into the country and then being successful in distributing that product. And they work really at every point in the supply chain, from the importer to the distributor to the cold storages to the food service and the retail um, outlets that are purchasing and marketing this product. And so um, really our offices have tremendous resources and are an extreme wealth of knowledge in helping companies in the United States know where their product is going to fit and how to be successful in the market. And so that's really what we do as an organization to try and, 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 and help not just, you know, the biggest of the big companies that are exporting, but the single plants, uh, single plant companies, family owned businesses to figure out um, that there's going to be a spot in these markets for your product, no matter how big or small. And it's just a matter of us helping you find a way to, to make that fit in and be successful. You, you know, in a, in a, in a, my previous uh, career, I, I had the opportunity to work a little bit in the international side of things. And man, what an eye-opening experience. Uh, you, you've alluded to the certifications that are necessary and then just the massive network of individuals to get meat from one side of the globe to the next or even or even just across the the adjacent border at times <laughs> right and then and then bring into the whole account you mentioned uh, a developing market in the middle east uh, middle eastern countries and and then you have to bring in the whole religious slaughter uh, certification as well to meet the demands of those customers. So um, I, you know, I, I guess I don't have a question. I'm encouraging folks, however, that are out there listening to 
learn a lot more about this export market and, and connect with USMEF um, to see all the ins and outs that are involved and, and see all the product opportunities and customer opportunities that are available. So well, cool. and, I, and I might be a little bit biased on this, but I mean, the, the international space is only going to grow in the meat industry. We've got a tremendous amount of room um, to continue to, to further U.S. beef exports and U.S. pork exports and U.S. lamb exports all over the world. Um, and as we as we go forward and as we continue to you know improve the industry in the United States uh, and as we continue to see increases in demand all around the world. Uh, that interest is only going to grow. And, and uh, that was part of my interest in getting into this business is it was, it's kind of on, to me, the leading edge of the industry. And, and uh, you know, whether it's a student listening, there's lots of opportunities in the international space. If it's a company listening, there's lots of opportunities in the international space. Um, it's just a matter of identifying those and going out and taking advantage of them. And, and really that's, that's kind of what USMEF is here for. And, and uh, you know, we're always happy to help. I, I'll just reiterate what I just mentioned, you know, get out there and understand the, the, uh, the, the depth and breadth of the international market um, uh, for, for students that are listening in. And, and we're hoping that we, we are continuing to grow the, uh, those uh, future leaders in the meat world check out the international markets and any chance you get once we do get to start traveling a lot more again uh, travel meet these different folks um, go out and experience different countries experience different cultures um, it really opens the mind up um, even if you're a hardcore meathead um, just to just to look at the way that carcasses are broken down in a different fashion or just the way that customers prefer meat to be delivered in a, in a, maybe it needs to be in a smaller package. Maybe it needs to be cut just a little bit different to be more recognizable by those end users in different countries. And so um, check that stuff out. The export market really is pretty fascinating. Well, thank you a lot, Dr. Arp, for, for your time today. And I think you, you provided a lot of good information that I'm sure a lot of our listeners will benefit from. And, and thank you a lot for your time again. I hope we can continue these conversations in, in the near future and, and probably in, in maybe in a, in a live format. Thank you again. No, thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure. That we end this episode. Thank you a lot for listening. If you'd like to receive notifications on the new releases and the new episodes, please subscribe at www.meetspad.com. If you're a small and mid-sized meat processor and you have concerns or questions about a certain topic related to, to meat science and meat processing, please email us at info at Thank you and I'll see you the next time.